Uh, good morning. You can be uh, seated. I'm really glad uh, that you're here today. It's, uh, it's good to be uh, with you all. Uh, those of you that maybe are uh, new the last week, um, I'm one of the ministers here. My name's Steve. Um, I've been uh, gone from the neighborhood of eight weeks on a sabbatical. And uh, before I get into my message and the new series that we're going to be in uh, until uh, Thanksgiving, we'll, we'll be in this through, uh, through Thanksgiving, I just want to uh, uh, take a minute and just thank you and, and to thank this church for um, the sabbatical. I, I've mentioned this to a number of people, but I feel like as my sabbatical was starting uh, eight weeks ago, uh, I felt like it became pretty obvious to me that I was a little closer to burnout than I realized I was uh, in, in the beginnings of it. And uh, I, I think some of that for me, just to kind of speak openly and honestly uh, with you, uh, started o- almost exactly a year ago for me, um, which is uh, when my dad started to go downhill. He eventually passed away in November, but it was also around that time. We didn't know it at the time, but uh, my son Sam had a bowel uh, obstruction uh, that kind of wreaked havoc on our family. And then COVID started to uptick about this time a year ago as well. And so we're trying to lead through that. And um, I kind of had the attitude of uh, just keep plowing forward because I knew I had a sabbatical coming. Uh, and uh, as I got on that sabbatical, it's just been a, a refreshing time, and a time for me to think through some things and, and give some things to the Lord, and uh, I'm grateful for it. Um, I've also told a number of other people, I think after COVID, probably every church in the U.S. ought to, be considered, ought to consider doing it for their pastor. Um, it, it's just, it was kind of a stressful thing, and it's a cheap and easy thing to do, so um, I'm grateful for it. Uh, I'm grateful for the job that uh, Scott did uh, while I was gone. Uh, I listened to almost all of those messages. I've got a couple more to go, but uh, really the Daniel series in particular, I thought was really, really powerful uh, and helpful. And uh, then all of our leaders around here who uh, also helped make hospital calls and, and do all of that stuff that um, uh, I normally do. I'm, I'm just grateful. So thank you for the time. Uh, Scott and I are going to preach a dual message on January 2nd, and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about sabbatical Uh, and kind of what we both learned and reflections on 2021, basically, uh, which will include sabbatical time. So that'll be January 2nd. We'll kind of team preach it, be up here and and have a conversation. uh, And we'll talk about a little more then. So uh, let's get into a resurrection, people. Uh, This has been on my heart uh, for months now. So I'm I'm ready to preach this series. Let's let's pray together. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace and uh, uh, the power of his resurrection. And uh, Lord, I just pray that this truth of um, Jesus being raised from the dead would uh, make a difference in our lives, the lives of the people around us, and uh, even the lives of our culture that people would grow enamored of and and love the resurrection. We again thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I want you to... This is probably something you don't exactly want to think about, but I want to start out our time together this morning by thinking about what have been some of the challenges of the past year for you. Uh, you know, I kind of talked about some of my challenges. When you think about your challenges, what are, what are some of those challenges of the last year and a half? I, I think different people have experienced different challenges. On a lighter side, I mean, some people that have been mostly home for a year and a half, one of the challenges have been being entertained. Right, with a lot of stuff closed and nowhere to go for a lot of people that have been kind of homebound, it's like I've watched all of Netflix. I've come to the end of it, right? 
right? I, I, I've watched every single thing. There's no more content and you're home and you're bored and you're kind of getting, uh, you're kind of going crazy a little bit. Maybe uh, for some of you, the challenges have been more like family-based. And uh, back when you were uh, kind of doing the remote learning, that was hard on one end of the spectrum. And now your kids are back in school and that presents challenges of its own. And it's just been a frustrating time when it, when it comes to your family. Maybe for you, it's a, a challenge of fear. And the pandemic has just left you uneasy, uh, anxious, afraid, uncertain. I will confess to you, like, I don't think I struggle with that a ton, but leading up to the beginning of our sabbatical, our family was taking a family uh, vacation to the Pacific Northwest. And leading up to that trip, I started to have a ton of fear and anxiety, even before I left here, about what if one of us gets sick in Seattle? Or what if one of us gets sick in Oregon and we're so far away from home and is this smart, is this wise? And it, it really welled up on, in me and on and on it goes. And maybe some of you, you're, you, you join me in that. You have uh, doubt and fear and anxiety and it's just been a year and a half of that for you. Um, all that being said, I think if I were to say the one thing that everybody kind of has in common when it comes to the last year and a half, uh, one of the big challenges of the last little bit has been what do I believe? You know, I, I don't know who I can trust. I, I don't know who I should believe. When, when uh, I get on social media, when I watch the news, when I, I just, I feel at a loss for what the truth is. And I feel at a loss for what I really should believe. And not to add into that, but I was reading an article while I was gone about in 2019 and 2020, almost all of Facebook's top Christian pages, which were being shared, so the top Christian pages were run by foreign troll farms, which means that all that content of these Christian sites that were being shared on Facebook were not being shared and developed by Christians. They were being shared and developed by groups of people that wanted uh, to get out a certain narrative and to influence the way people believe. What or who do I believe? Now I think uh, it's fairly obvious, but here's why this is so important. Our actions, my actions, your actions, all of us, our actions will always follow our beliefs. 100% of the time. If you wanna know why you're behaving the way that you are, take a look at what, what you're believing uh, and, and you'll see why you're behaving. Uh, they, they always follow one, one another and it makes belief very important and it's true in every area of life, but it's especially true when it comes to faith, issues of Jesus, issues of faithfulness. What we believe will drive our behavior, right? And it's especially true in faith. And in terms of faith, it is especially true when it comes to what we're gonna talk about for the next six, eight weeks, the resurrection. A belief about the resurrection will drive our behavior. We sometimes uh, refer to Easter, uh, if you've been in church for a long time, we, re we refer to Easter Sunday as the Super Bowl of the faith. Right, and, and that it's the time where we all gather together and we celebrate uh, the resurrection. And it's not the super uh, bowl of the faith because of the enormity of the crowd, although the crowd on Easter is bigger. It's the super bowl of the faith because of the enormity of the message. That we understand if you can get people to understand, believe, and internalize the resurrection, it will literally change everything. And Jesus knew, I think, that this was going to be a hard pill to swallow, that his resurrection from the dead, him being dead and then alive again, it was going to be hard for people to believe. 
uh, and it was going to be hard for people to internalize. And their behavior was so, he knew it was so important that they believe that he spent the, the days after his resurrection, before he ascended into heaven, he spent most of his time trying to get people to believe. Uh, and John chapter 20 really outlines this very, very well. And what I noticed as I studied John 20, and we're going to read a good chunk of it, but it reads in a, a really fun uh, story-like way. But uh, in, in John tw- tw- chapter 20, you actually have the spectrum of belief when it comes to the disciples. And I want to kind of show you how this plays out just a little bit. John 20, uh, verse 1. Early on, uh, the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, the author of the text, um, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight to the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth had been uh, wrapped around uh, the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in, in place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. You can underline this if you underline in your Bible. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were saying. So first of all, you can see in this, this is a funny text, all right? It's okay to laugh, uh, laugh at the Bible every once in a while. And I think it'd say that John, the author of the text, had a competitive streak that ran through his veins, right? Verse four, they set out for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple, John, I outran Peter, Verse six, then Simon Peter came along behind him because he was last. (laughs) Verse eight, finally the other disciple who reached the tomb first, in the Greek you could translate this, I won, I won, I won. (laughs) Not the point, but we were racing and I won, I won. It's just important in the historical context to know it. I won. It's funny, but it's also beautiful in a way. You have Mary here who believes the body has been stolen, and that narrative will continue for her for a little bit. Peter and John run that way. John enters the tomb, and notice what it says. I had you underline it. He saw and he believed. Well, believed what? We know in the very next verse that they they didn't understand that all of the scriptures had pointed to the resurrection of Jesus. So, believed what? I think what we're seeing here is this messy, beautiful faith that's very real that says, I don't know what's going on here, but I believe Jesus. And I believe that my best friend, because John and Jesus had this unique friend relationship, I believe that my best friend is still alive. And I think we're in this season right now, and I want to encourage you with this. We're in this season the last year and a half where people are questioning Jesus a little bit. How on earth could he allow this pandemic this pain, this trial, where on earth is he? And I want to affirm to you this morning, it is okay to say, I don't have all the answers to those questions, but I believe. I believe. I believe he's risen. I believe he's good. I believe he has a plan. I believe I don't have all the answers about why, when, how, what's he doing, what's he gonna, I don't know all that. I 
I believe. The story continues. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one uh, at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said. I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll go and get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, don't hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell him and tell them I am ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God. I love this part of it, right? I'm going to my God and your God, right? Jesus is introducing what he came to do to make his God ours. And then the last verse, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them uh, that he had said these things to her. So you've got the first story. You've got John with this simple, I don't have all the answers. I don't know what's going on, but I believe. Mary requires a little more prodding to believe as the story unfolds here. John walks in, he believes. Mary believes the body has been stolen uh, and, and, and believes that for quite some time, believes that he's the gardener. And Jesus demonstrates to her that he is actually resurrected and it's him standing there by simply saying her name. And I guess I would want you to understand this morning as we start out in this series that resurrected Jesus knows your name. The hairs on your head, he has them numbered one by one. For some of you, it's easier than others. But he knows you, he knows you, he knows your name, and he wants you to believe. And I would guess that when you think about yourself and you think about your history and your story, I would guess that you could kind of point to these moments where resurrected Jesus that knows you and knows your name has made himself known to you in multiple ways. So Mary comes to believe, it only requires her saying, uh, him saying her name, Mary, and, and all of a sudden, she believes, and she goes to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, but still not everyone believes. The story continues. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came, so the other disciples told him, hey, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. But he said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, kind of a strange request, but whatever, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. I I love that story so much because they're all gathered in this locked room, and Jesus said, hey, peace, not peace. What are you doing, right? You walk through the wall. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and here's our word again, and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So as our spectrum continues, you have Thomas as our doubter, naturally suspicious, and so Jesus meets him where he is and allows Thomas to put his finger into the nail holes and he 
believes. As a matter of fact, he so believes that I want you to know this about Thomas, that history says he was later martyred in India preaching the gospel. And I love the last line of this text. Because you have seen me, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. That Jesus knew millions of people were going to be born onto this planet, billions are going to be born on this planet after Thomas, and they would not have this luxury of being able to see Jesus face to face and put their fingers in the nail hole. And Jesus said, man, blessed are those who don't have that opportunity and have this simple thing called faith. And John will go on to say, this is actually the very point of his gospel. The last couple of verses, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But look at this. But these are written that you, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. All right, this is why when everybody, anybody is new to faith, and they're like, man, what should I read? Should I like start at the beginning at Genesis? And it's like, oh, you could start at Genesis, but I would encourage you to start with John, the book of John, and to read his gospel from front to back because the purpose of John's writing, the reason he wrote the book of John is that so you and I would believe and that by believing, we would have life in the name of Jesus. And so I would guess in this room, we have the same spectrum of people as we see in John 20. We have people that were maybe born into a Christian family uh, and were raised in the church. And honestly, when someone says, hey, tell me about when you didn't believe, you're like, I've always believed. <laughs> right? I, I was raised from a wee little child in nursery to believe and I have just always accepted and I have just always believed. My parents taught me to believe and I've just always believed. There are some of you here that are more like Mary and you have some questions. Are you sure he isn't the gardener? Right? Are you sure you're here and you love to worship and you'd love to be engaged in church, but you're here and you have a few questions? Are you sure? And then there's some in this room that are like Thomas and you're a little more uh, cynical and doubter by nature and you're in a doubting season. And listen, that's okay. Jesus meets us where we are and his goal for every single person living when it comes to the resurrection, his goal is that we would believe because he knows that when we believe, that is when we find life. And Jesus came so that you would have life and have it to the full. And so he wants you to believe. And as you study the rest of the early church, you will see that this simple belief in the resurrection of Jesus that we see in John 20, it resulted in three things. Now I have been on sabbatical and I started working on this sermon probably about three weeks ago. And so all of these start with the letter C. I thought you'd be more impressed, to be honest. Um, I hardly ever do that, right? They all start with the letter C, so I am like a real preacher today. But um, here's, what, here's what we learn about the early church. Their belief, first of all, it became conviction. Now listen, uh, conviction and belief are similar, but they're also a little bit slightly different. So we have hundreds of beliefs. Uh, among us that, that drive our actions every day. You might believe that Coke is superior to Pepsi. You believe that, and it drives your drinking decisions, right? You, you might believe that action movies are better than romantic comedies, and it drives your entertainment, 
right? I always tell Cheryl, I've, I've shared this with you before, but when we're kind of doing a, a show after the kids go to bed, I'm like, my only request, my only, I have one request when it comes to what we watch, I don't want to be sad, right? I, I don't like to watch things that make me sad, right? So action, make me laugh, make any spectrum of emotion, but don't make me sad, all right? Uh, you might believe that football is better than basketball, and it, it drives your watching habits. So we have hundreds and hundreds, thousands maybe, of beliefs. And while that's true, you and I, we have just a handful of deeply held convictions. And, and we probably have one deeply held conviction that drives all the rest. We just have a few convictions. You might have a conviction about what you do for a living, Maybe you're a teacher or a public servant and you have this conviction about the work that you do and the importance of it. You might have a conviction, it goes beyond belief, a conviction about your role as a parent and how what you are doing is so important. For the early church, one of their deeply held convictions was the resurrection. It was Jesus, it was his life, his death, his resurrection. Here's how the Apostle Paul said it. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, the death of Jesus, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? It's like he gave you his son. What do you think he's going to hold back? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, his death, more than that, look at this now, was raised to life, the resurrection, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Should trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, pandemic, unemployment, family hardship? No. As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And here's verse 38, you can underline this. For I am convinced, I have this conviction that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any other powers, neither height or depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Your convictions will drive your decisions, and your decisions will drive your destination. I think that one of the lessons we've learned in COVID is that some of our cultural convictions are being exposed as less than. I had five I was going to share. I decided to make it down to one. But this thing has found its way into our cultural vernacular over the last year and a half. And I understand it, and I want to talk about it a little bit. So please, whatever you do, don't tune me out halfway through this, all right? You're going to get the wrong impression. But here's the cultural vernacular that's found its way into our society is this, this terminology. Safety is our number one priority. You've heard it everywhere. And by definition, that statement, safety is our number one priority, it goes beyond a belief and it becomes a conviction. So as a culture, we make decisions based on our conviction. And listen, it's not that safety isn't important. If you've been uh, attending here the last year and a half, you know that we've made a lot, lot of decisions in regards to safety over the last 18 months. 
But it's important for you to hear me say, I would not say at Northwest Christian Church that safety is our number one priority. I would say it's important, but I would say pointing people to Jesus is our number one priority. So what happens when safety becomes your top conviction and safety becomes the thing that drives all is fear and anxiety take hold of your culture, which is kind of funny because the statement, not ha-ha funny, but light on kind of funny, right? That the statement that safety is our number one priority, you're trying to help people avoid fear and anxiety when in reality it amps up fear and anxiety. It also increases social separation and alienation. If safety is our number one priority, we should just stay away from everybody. And and those sorts of things create issues of fear and anxiety and loneliness and despair, all in the name of safety. And so you see a conviction that safety is our number one priority doesn't always lead us to a good place. We end up in the wrong place because we have the wrong conviction. I wonder what would happen if the resurrection became our number one conviction that our Savior and Lord conquered death? And what would happen if we really believe that we're not just celebrating a singular event in history of Jesus raising from the dead, but instead his resurrection will become our resurrection. Someday he will gift his resurrection to us and we will raise from the dead ourselves and live with him forever in eternity in a perfect place. What if his resurrection became ours? What if that became our core conviction? Listen, it would not lead us to be reckless, right? Jesus is all about life. He's all, he's all about leading us to life. So life is important and we wanna preserve life to the best of our ability. Jesus is about life in this world and life in the next. So it's not like it would lead us to be reckless. We would choose wisdom when it comes to a pandemic. But I wonder if our culture and us as individuals, if we would just have a greater sense of peace. If we said, man, I'm gonna be wise, I'm gonna make the right decisions, I'm not gonna seek to spread this disease, but I'm gonna be careful. But my savior conquered the grave and my faith is in him. I wonder if the, if the resurrection being our core conviction would lead us to greater peace. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for me. I want greater peace. To say we're not gonna be reckless, we're not, we're not gonna be silly, we're not gonna be dumb, we're gonna be wise, but we're not gonna be anxious. We're not gonna be afraid because our Lord conquers death. And he's pretty good at it for himself and he's pretty good at it for you. So it resulted in conviction, this belief. This, this belief became a conviction This conviction caused them to engage in celebration. Now listen, when you study the early church, there were a series of obstacles they had to overcome. Persecution, famine, countless imprisonment, difficulty. As the church uh, moved forward, uh, did you know that this isn't what we're in right now is obviously not the first pandemic, it's not even the worst. That in, uh, in the early century, there was a 15 year pandemic. All right, 15 year that the church had, had to tackle. So they, they, they are well acquainted with suffering. They are well acquainted with, with difficulty. But in the midst of all that, what we see in the example of the early church in the Bible is that they were always able to find ways to celebrate. They said, man, 
We're being persecuted, we're being killed, we're being struck down, we're being all of these things, but let's gather together as a church family and celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. As a matter of fact, there's this long kind of rich history going back to the early church of the church gathering on the first day of the week and they would sing together. They would hear God's word taught and they would receive communion and remind each other, hey, there is always something to celebrate. In Christ Jesus, by the power of his resurrection, there is always something to celebrate. And one of the challenges of the past year and moving forward is that for a long while, we stopped gathering together as a national church but then you have, depending on what statistics you believe, uh, you have that, that people that are home, 20, or, uh, 20 to 40% of those that were worshiping the, before the pandemic are, are, are no longer regularly attending church or they're just attending church less, 20 to 40%. And what happens when we stop gathering is we stop remembering and we stop celebrating. Now listen, let's not be silly and stupid, okay? No one's asking you to celebrate a pandemic. That would be dumb. No one's asking you to celebrate persecution. That would be silly. No one's asking you to celebrate death, right? I always, I always kind of joke with Cheryl, and it's, it makes her uncomfortable, so I know it will make you uncomfortable. But I'm like, hey, listen, when my time comes, I want there to be a celebration of life, but not too much celebration. <laughs> I want you, Sam, and I want you crying. Right? right? I don't want balloons and party. I want tears, right? And, and then you can remember the resurrection and all of that. So no one's asking you to celebrate death. That would, be, uh, that, that would be silly. But there are things to celebrate. We're asking you to celebrate hope. We're asking you to celebrate resurrection. We're asking you to celebrate Jesus because he always has been and will always be worth celebrating. And listen, this is challenging. A, a, a part of the gospel message is that someday Jesus will return and he'll destroy death and disease and hardship and pain and we will go to him and, and live with him for all of eternity and we'll celebrate him in that environment. But today, we gotta find a way to do this because today we're in the presence of death and disease and hardship. But don't ever forget to celebrate. Celebrate the things that are really important. Celebrate the things that are a gift. Celebrate Jesus. The last thing it led to is courage. All right. Celebration, conviction, and courage. Now listen, courage is not the absence of fear. We sometimes romanticize the heroes of the faith, David and Goliath, Moses confronting Pharaoh, uh, the apostles and their hardships. We, we sometimes think, man, surely these giants of the faith were not afraid. I suspect they were. I really do. I think they were afraid. The underground church was underground for a reason. They were seeking to avoid being killed, right? Like we talk about life is precious. Life is important. Jesus is leading us to life in this life and in the next. That being said, they refused to stop doing what they were called to do. They refused to do that. And they were motivated by a higher calling. So let me put this on the screen for you. Courage is not the absence of fear. It is the presence of greater faith. Courage is refusing to be swayed from the right thing, despite overwhelming circumstances. 
Courage says, courage says I might be intimidated or even afraid, but I'm not going to stop loving others. I'm not going to stop loving God. I'm going to do everything he has called me to do. And it might look different, it might feel different, but I am going to figure it out. So this is a terrible way to end a sermon, what I'm about to do. Um, because it's a little bit heavy. But then we're going to move into communion and we're going to celebrate. But I want to tell you the heart behind the series and why we're talking about what we're talking about. In 2020, uh, 2019, I should say, 65% of American adults identified that they were Christian in America, all right? 65% in 2019. That number is smaller than it had been in years past, but 65%, that is a lot of folks saying, I love Jesus, I follow Jesus, I'm into Jesus. 2020, all right, that's 2019. 2020, we went through a pandemic, racial discord, a contentious election, and yet we have 65% of adults in this country that are completely moved and motivated in theory by the person of Jesus and his death and specifically his resurrection. And given those numbers, here's the heart behind this series. When I think about 2020 and 2021, given those numbers, if I can say this, I feel like the resurrection should have made a bigger difference. I really do in the way we approached the pandemic, in the way that we approached hope and joy and, and peace, when you have that large of a group that says they identify with Jesus, I feel like the resurrection should have made a bigger difference than it did, and I feel like in this country some of our false convictions have been exposed. I feel like our discipline of celebration took a hit, and I feel like our courage waned. Well, listen, you heard the beginning of this talk. I understand why. It has been an incredibly difficult 18 months. But at the same time, I wanted to stand up and remind us outside of Easter, I wanted to remind us of the power of our Savior's resurrection. His resurrection that he gives as a gift to us so that we can have this deep conviction about who he is that drives our life to be like his so that we can celebrate, we can have this time of celebration, even in the darkest times. We don't have to say, well, life is difficult, culture is difficult, things are hard, I'm done celebrating. You can come in here every single Sunday and experience celebration in Christ Jesus. And we can have courage to face daunting circumstances and say, man, I am overwhelmed, I am afraid, I don't know what the future is, but I am not gonna be swayed. This is what courage is. I am not gonna be swayed from loving others. I am not gonna be swayed from loving God. I am not gonna be swayed from service. I am not gonna be swayed from worship. I am not gonna be swayed from hope. I am not gonna be swayed from peace. I am not going to be swayed from the courage of my convictions, even though I'm afraid. And it starts with belief. All of it starts with belief, believing and being convicted by his life, his death, and his resurrection that is for you and for me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power of your resurrection. And in crisis, uh, it is real easy to, to forget. It just is. We become overwhelmed by life, 
We become overwhelmed by circumstances. And so our courage starts to falter a little bit. Our hope starts to falter. Our peace starts to falter. And in this series, we just want to be reminded of the power of your resurrection and how important it is for us to believe it and to walk in it and be motivated by it, that we would have the courage to do what you've asked us to do, that we would celebrate you in all things, that we would never lose our sense of celebration, and that that belief would become just a deep conviction that drives every other area of our life. It's not just something we, in theory, believe that every once in a while we attend church and enjoy it, but it's something that drives every decision that we make, the power of your resurrection. So right now, as we transition into communion, we wanna, we wanna celebrate and remember this moment. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. Like I said, we're gonna receive communion. Our servers will pass it out. You can hang on to the cups and I'll come back up and, and we'll remember and we'll celebrate together the power of his resurrection. His body given for you. His blood poured out. You'll notice in our faith tradition that um, the cross typically does not have Jesus on it, reminding us of his resurrection. Um, and as we receive uh, uh, communion, we remember his death and the forgiveness of our sins. We'll talk about this next week. His death resulted in the forgiveness of sins. His resurrection resulted in hope. And so you and I should never leave this room hopeless because of the resurrection. We always have hope because of him. And that um, hope not just in the days to come when we're with him in all of eternity, but hope uh, as we walk day to day with the power of his Holy Spirit alive in us. That is also the result of the resurrection. So the resurrection it's everything. So my prayer for you is that you would believe it and receive it and walk in it. God bless you guys. Go ahead and stand up. We're going to close with one last song of worship.